Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey everybody, welcome to a new episode of Undying Light. I am your host, Alex, and as always, I am back in the studio recording another episode as we continue plowing through our long book on in Revelation and just this really, really long series on eschatology. So uh, just for you all listening, I might uh, throw out that lower jazz voice for you tonight i am recording up in my office and so i have to be just a a smidge bit on the quiet side uh, i don't quite have the vocal freedom as i do down in my studio uh, and only because we've been so busy with everything this week i haven't had a chance to move my equipment back down there so i am upstairs in my office um I have the privilege of having a, you know, a little storeroom in the basement uh, that I've kind of claimed as my own. I threw an old PC down there, put my mic and everything in there, and some soundproofing um, to help, you know, insulate the sound. And so I thought that that was a good, you know, setup, and that's kind of what I call my studio. And then I've got my actual. Uh, pastoral office upstairs here in the house and so my daughter's room is next to me my wife's and my bedroom is across the hall so i have to be you know a little bit quieter and so that just helps hopefully you know explain kind of the that smooth jazzy tone if you would so we got a lot coming at you this week we are going to be digging into the book of revelation chapter 14 and we are going to work ourselves all the way through these 20 verses uh, so we will be visiting the lamb and the 144,000. we will be talking about the message of the three angels and concluding with the harvest of the earth and so uh, we will try and work ourselves through this text and i you know hopeful um time frame i would like to get this done within an hour and uh, so we may not quite get to every little nook and cranny but i promise we will cover all of the big stuff as we can so uh just a few things that we should uh probably highlight as this episode is dropping um on june 10th 
Uh, I am currently on a, another break from Instagram. I've been kind of taking a few extra breaks uh, recently, uh, working on some stuff with church and my family and just trying to be less involved on social media. Um, also working on some things and projects for the Patreons and hopes that that will continue to drive excitement and attention there. And so in all of this, the patrons still have access to talking with me. They still get content uh, available to them. Um, I'm just not making anything available on social media. So if you're interested, uh, because we are listener supported, you can join us for as low as a dollar a month. And in that you will get access to literally everything that I'm doing behind the scenes. And, you know, that comes in waves. So uh, through the summer, we take a little bit slower pace with our Bible studies, but we're still meeting. Uh, and then, But uh, through all that, too, you'll get early access to the shows as I get them recorded. You'll get access to sermon notes as I have them written. You'll get access to any schoolwork or any other things like that. Uh, and then just general chats and, you know, discussions and things like that on top of everything else. But, you know, one of these things I really learned with patrons and the Patreon system is a lot of these shows will set you up on tiers and then they will ask you, you know, you give a dollar, I'll throw out a thank you. Uh, you give five dollars, you'll get, you know, access to two things. And then, oh, you give me ten dollars, I'll give you more access. I can't do that. I don't think that's appropriate for what we're doing here at Undying Light. What I'm trying to build is a community of like-minded believers and in that, I simply ask for $1 and I will give you everything I'm doing. Some give more, some give a dollar, and I love you all the same. And so for all of my patrons, big shout out to you guys because you are a huge reason why I do these shows. Uh, and occasionally I'll do video recordings too and I'll have like a little commentary of sorts set up between me and them. And uh, they'll ask me questions and I'll answer them as the show uh, before the show begins. So. Uh, that's kind of what we're, you know, all about. We got a lot of other interesting and fun things going on. You know, we're working through the book of Galatians and we're working through all of these, um, other little pieces of theology as we unpack them together. Uh, not only do you get access to that, but outside of that realm, you know, we've got Logos Bible Software, which you can just get a discount straight up. Logos.com forward slash Undyne Light. Get yourself a copy of Logos. That's what I'm using tonight on my um, recording in terms of content to pull from. I've got all my commentaries, all my notes, my Bible, my Bible set up, all the uh, study Bibles and everything right there for me at at a reach. And of course, you know, we don't talk about it enough. I think I said it last week on the show. We've got our merchandise as well. Um, it's on the website. It's called Bonfire. You can get these links in my bio on Reformed Lifestyle. That page is still up and you can go and buy yourself some Undying Light shirts. And if you have a quote or a Bible verse that you want uh, that I don't have available, DM me and I'll make it happen for you. Now, quick uh, record keeping, if you would. Some people have asked what happened to the Undying Light Ministries page. Well, I took it down. I had been thinking about this for about a year, and I just felt that uh, in my current workload and stature, I don't give it enough attention for it to really be an appropriate thing for me to have ongoing. And so I went ahead and took it down, and I needed to just focus solely on this, on my single page where you will get show updates and things like that. So anytime we do shows, uh, updates, or anything like that, it's all going to come on Reform Lifestyle. 
and that's where we're going to put the content. So I think that covers everything that I have for you. Obviously, um, you'll get way more behind the scenes details and updates and things like that as being a patron, but you don't have to join that as the show is still free and you can enjoy it on any podcast platform. If you do happen to go that route, I would just ask that you share the show information, leave us a review, subscribe to it um, on whatever platform you're on. That just helps bring visibility to the show and it helps people see um, everything that we are doing. So uh, with all that said, let's uh, dig into some of this text. All right, so we find ourselves today in chapter 14. And so I am going to uh, grab this text real quick and we're going to read it. And then we will go from there with today's topic. So titled The Lamb and the 144,000. Interestingly enough, I did have a patron ask me a particular question on this section. So I hope to do him justice and answering it. And so you know who you are. Uh, I don't want to really throw out names on uh, the podcast, but uh, he did ask a particular question. And, uh, so I've hopefully, like I said, we'll do justice for him and give him the answer he's seeking. So we start in verse one. Then I looked and behold on Mount Zion stood the lamb with a, with, and with him, 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was the sound of the harpoon, the harpists playing their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It has, uh, it was those who had not defiled themselves with women, for they were virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. They have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and, and the Lamb. And in their mouth was no lie f- was found, for they were blameless. Okay, so we've got three sections in this text here. Um, <clears throat> as I'd mentioned, in verses 1 through 5, we're going to talk about this 144,000, and then we will transition into see these messages here from angels, and then we'll close out the chapter. Um, so we quickly uh, pick up here on these individuals, and we're going to get into their identity in just a moment. But I kind of like this little bit of an illustration that I picked up here. And I'm sure you have at some point listened to John or read at this point, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, it really is considered one of the most read books in the English language after the Bible, of course. Uh, this spiritual classic is a well-beloved to Christians because it is uh, of its biblical accuracy in depicting the challenges of life for uh, the life of faith. So, um, I would suggest here, this is just from the notes, another reason for the, for the Pilgrim's progress and its popularity is its visions and the hopes of heaven. Despite the challenges posed by all of the uh, things that Christian will go through, every time we read it, he always succeeds in reaching his goal by faith. And Revelation was written to convey the same message of hope to John's first century readers. We realize that this vision here that begin, uh, 
essentially that we see in chapter 14, this vision that John gives us is repeating an earlier vision of the 144,000 redeemed saints who we seen back in chapter seven. Uh, and they survived the world's persecution and uh, calamities. Now this redeemed church has reached the glorified Christ after deadly warfare is portrayed in chapter 12, 13. And uh, chapter 14 here begins with, Behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb. Now, you know, like the Pilgrim's Progress, Revelation 14 assures the struggling Christians that their perseverance and faith will lead eventually to salvation. The reason for their confidence is not the prowess in slaying dragons or wrestling beasts, but in the fact of Jesus Christ, who is the slain Lamb. And he stands exalted in his sovereignty and authority and on heaven on the heavenly zion so we quickly can see there's a direct connection to the 144,000 uh drawn back to chapter 7 in revelation and so we have a an immediate connection to these now um the my patron's particular question isn't centered necessarily on the 144,000, but it is related because, uh, but their question more focuses here on, on number four, because it feels like this is quite a very pointed, um, verse that can often be uh, misrepresented and misunderstood and even twisted to the extent. So, uh, we're going to pay pretty close attention to number to, to verse four when we get to it here in a few minutes. So, um, if we recall back in John, uh, chapter 10, verse 28, John 10, 28, uh, Jesus makes this promise to all of those who follow him. Uh, they will never perish and no one can snatch them out of his hand. Now, obviously, if you're a Calvinist and you're listening to the show, that verse is probably one you have memorized by heart. It uh, is one that you would probably uh, attribute to your uh, P and uh, the perseverance of the saints. And uh, But it really has a lot of depth to it um i mean it really does show the the will of christ his sovereignty and his authority um now if you listen to the last couple of bonus episodes well there's one bonus episode before this show and you'll have another one coming this tuesday on some of the lutheran theology we'll get into a little bit of that discussion on you know, the perseverance of the saints and things like that. So interesting. Catch those shows if you can. Um, but this particular doctrine is geographically depicted here in the vision of the 144,000 uh, as they gather on uh, Mount Zion with Jesus. Now, we really should understand here that these individuals are not just 144,000 people and that's it. That's all who make it to heaven. This number is a, is a large number and it represents the entirety of the church. And again, we get into, you know, these uh, conversations on can we use um, particular numbers as symbolical representations or do we have to take them in literal interpretation? And often what we've seen so far in Revelation is having to take numbers as a symbolic representation of something because if we took them as a literal interpretation then if you know then only 144,000 people in the last 2,000 years have made it and most of us are doomed and because then we can get into a literal interpretation on verse 4 and verse 5 and really see how 
uh, how absolutely doomed we are as Christians. But what we can get is this, um, is this beautiful, uh, reassurance that this number is just a symbolical statement to the church. And, uh, it's to those saints who have lived through the great tribulation, um, and who have been persecuted. And, you know, another promise here is the number in and of itself, its completeness and its wholeness. See, John doesn't see, you know, um, 129,600 or, you know, 143,999 where one is lost or, you know, 10% are lost. What he sees is the complete whole number going back from verse, uh, chapter seven, all the way to verse 14 here. And what we get is that completeness of God's true people. And we get, you know, the fulfillment that Christ is sovereign and he does not lose anybody. And I think that continues to prove and show the promise that when Christ says something and he gives you a promise, he will see it through. And, you know, we can attest and argue that this number represents the martyrs of the church who died for the Christian testimony, or uh, some can argue that this is a number that is only for the ethnic Jews who converted immediately before Christ's second coming. But see, one way that we can show that the 144,000 stands for all believers is to see how it represents both the Old Testament and New Testament. This number joins together the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 tribes of Christ, 12 times 12 multiplied by a thousand to depict a great multitude that no one could number from Revelation 7, 9. Furthermore, the descriptions given to the 144,000 in this particular passage are true of the entirety of the people in Christ. So now we get on to this verse here um, in verse 1 that they have the father's name written on their forehead. Now we know that back in 13, that everybody, both small and great, rich and poor, both free and slave have received the mark of the beast on their forehead and hand. Now we know that this mark represents the mark bearers embrace the anti-Christian world system. And we talked about a lot about that last week and how this particular you know, Mark isn't a, um, you know, it's not the COVID vaccine. It's not a chip that they're going to plant in you so you can buy comrades. Um, but we did see how some of that can be related to what John was writing in his time period. But this Mark is more of a Mark that you have associated yourself with the world. And it leads you into having this sort of, you know, persona about you. It's not a actual physical mark and we start to see that here in this particular passage because see we're not going to you know sit down with a christian and see a visible name or some sort of cross on their forehead and you're not going to sit down with a non-christian today and see 666 written on their wrist or their forehead it's just you're not going to see that 
So when we see this type of thing, we can see that Revelation is speaking to us in symbols of the great spiritual reality that corresponds with faith or unbelief. And to say that God's name is written on everybody's forehead is a figurative way of stating that a person belongs to him and is protected by his presence. And, you know, I think that's a great encouragement that this should provide for every believer. Having believed on Jesus, you know that God has marked you as belonging to himself for all eternity. And when we get that language all throughout the New Testament, you are heirs to Christ. You are his children. You are, you know, made righteous. You All of these things depict the ownership that God has given you. And I think it's a beautiful um meaning for us to take this and say, you know, it's not a physical statement. It's not going to be a stamp on our foreheads, but in fact, it is going to be one that true Christians can recognize each other through our fruits and our love. But I think, you know, this goes further than just what we see eye to eye, but it's what God sees in us that we are his. So we get down here you know, um, I don't want to skip verse three, but we've kind of talked about this one here a few times. Um, we have this new song being sung. We had a new song earlier in the book of revelation. Um, and, and the beautiful thing is for, you know, here in the throne room, we have the, uh, four living creatures before the elders. And then this really kind of, um, this last sentence here, no one could learn the song except 144,000. So this is a song that's really just depicted towards Christians and that only Christians have the ability to sing it and know it. And so it just, I think, goes to show uh, their faithfulness in God and it shows that they are truly his possession. So now we get to verse four. I want to kind of work on this a little bit here for a quick minute. So those who bear God's name, not only enjoy his protection, but partake in his attributes. God's, uh, John's vision here, uh, thus describes the character of the redeemed, urging that believers, um, the ultimate question is not physical prowess or political or economic uh, power, but it is a question of true spirituality. Just as in, just as it is Christ who secures victory for people, it is Christ, it is Christ likeness that not only marks them out of this world and gives them power in spiritual warfare. So this first depiction of the Christian character is perplexed uh, many readers. This is just a, it is really throwing people for a loop. This verse here, it is those, or it is these who have not defiled themselves with women for they are virgins. It would be possible to take this verse in a number of erroneous ways. For instance, the 144,000 might be thought as spiritually, the spiritual elite who have gained their status through celibacy um, as their, as a practice. Uh, some feminist scholars have misused this verse to complain about the Bible's supposed uh, apathy for women. And some have even drawn the negative attitude towards uh, sexuality in general, since sexual relations seem to be described as defiling. But all of these uh, views are simply mistaken. So taking the the last verse, the Bible teaches that sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife is a holy gift from God and designed to bind their hearts together in marriage. Sexual purity in the Bible involves both abstinence outside of a marriage and faithfulness inside the marriage. It is not adultery 
or it is adultery, not sex itself, that defiles the marriage bed. So while Paul was grateful that his singleness enabled him to be highly focused on ministry, many of the other apostles, including Peter, were accompanied by their wives on their missionary journeys. Uh, Paul not only uses marriage as a metaphor for the union of Christ and his church, but stresses that the sexual union is essential for marital full, full, uh, faithfulness. Excuse me. And as for women in general, the Bible presents a positive view and often highlights their contributions to the kingdom work of Christ, uh, not least as mothers and wives. One of John's important designations for the church is that she is prepared as a bride adored for her husband. So how then do we avoid this statement as describing the 144,000 as celibate men who have gained their status by maintaining their virginity? Well, the, the answer, uh, familiar uh, right now for our study through Revelation, lies in this statement symbolically. Peter Hughes writes, The purity of the question is that of spiritual faithfulness. Leon Morris adds, It means that the people in question have kept themselves completely free from intercourse with the pagan world system. They have lived up to what is implied in their betrothal to Christ. So spiritual purity cannot be separated from moral purity, of course. The apostles lived in a Roman world that was even more sexually debauched than uh, the descendant West is today. And for this reason, the apostles placed a priority on sexual purity, requiring believers to engage in uh, determined repentance from sexual sins. Paul adds the encouraging message that Christians, having been purified in Christ, can regain their virginity when it has been lost. Although Paul condemned sexual, immoral, adulterers, and practicing homosexuals, he adds that some of such, uh, as such some of you were, but you were washed, you were made sanctified, you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So it is not, in my opinion, that these are uh, 144,000 celibate men. And and I also would venture to push the line further to say that you do not need to die this world uh, as a single virgin simply to try and make this particular requirement in verse 4. That is not what this verse is talking about. This is a verse that has much deeper meaning and hopes that those who are virgins will... Um, be not only of sexual pureness, but also moral pureness. And so this is one that shows that they have been separated from the world and that they follow Christ and not the world. And I think, you know, we can look back at what Paul writes in Romans 12 too, that we are not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but that we are renewed by the studying of God's word. And so I think there's a deep connection here between this and that passage and amongst many others through scripture that John is simply stating here that if we take this word literal, then that would, you know, based upon what is written here, there would only be 144,000 men who would qualify for it. And of that, they would have to follow this uh, very particular and strict set of rules that John has laid out, which is not found anywhere else in Scripture. And so, again, we can rule that out saying that these 144,000 are just men who are virgins 
um, but that these are individuals, both men and women, who have been from the persecuted church from all ages of the time, and it and it uh, encompasses the entire age of the church, all of the Christians, a complete and full number, and in that we have the pureness that John is calling us forward here to. All right, let's move on to verse 6, and we're going to tackle this next session here. Uh, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who had made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they will have no rest day or night these worshipers of the beast in its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for endurance for the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a loud voice saying in, he- in heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. So we have quickly moved on now. Um, I think we could probably accurately say where we are in uh, reflection to the Olivet Discourse. Uh, We've got, by the looks of it here, as we're going to unpack this, and you know, I I could hope to um, be not changed in my mind, but I hope that we can um, kind of follow this timeline it, it, by the appearance of just reading this at a, at a surface level before we really dig into it. This is the moment that Jesus is returning. This is when the sky shatters and Jesus returns. And so we get this new gospel here, um, this eternal gospel. It's nothing new. Uh, since there is only one, as Paul writes in Galatians 1, 6-8, uh, this is just the same eternal gospel that is proclaimed. And it is the message of deliverance from evil, sin, death, and the devil. And this is essentially just the same as the new song proclaiming the redemption anew. It's not technically new, but it's it's this, it, it, kind of hard to say. It's not new, but it's new, right? But we're not preaching a different gospel. It's just the eternal gospel. It's a different name that has been assigned to it. And so we have this first angel flying overhead, and we have um, proclaiming this eternal gospel to all who dwell. Now, if we go back to the Olivet Discourse and we can remember what happens it is that the sky shatter and Jesus comes and he sends out his angels to gather his elect. I could 
easily see how this is another little piece to that puzzle to identify things that will be happening um, in this time period. Now, I think these verses here are fairly straightforward. So I'm, you know, we we talked about them, some of these events in in depth. So we're not going to go too deep into them. I'm going to refer you to the shows that we did talk about them. So we have um, we have this angel flying out, and he says, "Fear God, give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and the springs of water." And so, instantly we can attribute to the fact that we have been, you know, moved into this last moment here. This is the last probably time frame or time sliver that. Uh, earth and you know you know exists with sin in it you know but we get this kind of nuanced here fear god and give him glory so after at first blush this announcement does not sound much like a gospel however it is indeed the good news for the faithful since the saints are repeatedly depicted as suffering at the hand of evildoers in revelation and so we can see that you know, you hear this loud voice, fear God and give him glory. I mean, and it's probably going to be trumpet blasting, bellowing loud. I mean, ears, eardrums shattering loudness. And for the believer, this is good news. This is the eternal gospel being proclaimed because our, our, our peace and our rest have finally come. And we are no longer going to be persecuted for our for our ways we're no longer going to be hated by the world in fact we will be with our lord and savior and you know we can easily see that this is in fact the gospel and it is the call to worship him who makes the heavens and the earth and that is who we worship in christ so as we move into verse 8 we have our second angel going out saying that babylon the great has fallen and uh, so this first mention of a figure that subsequently plays a larger role, not this ancient Mesopotamian city, but rather the imperial city in John's time. Um, this is often referred to by John as Rome uh, because uh, because her Caesars demanded the kind of divine honors that the Christians would not uh, render to him. She retaliates by oppressing the faithful. So now clearly Babylon is shown to be working with the two beasts. Um, in, in what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago on the mark, uh, the, the beasts and the mark of the beasts in that episode. Now we can get into the discussions on, you know, who Babylon is, the city. Um, a lot of theologians would point it to being Rome. Some theologians would point it to being a modern day you know, city actually named Babylon. Some would refer it to maybe a modern city like L.A., Washington, D.C., Chicago, um, maybe Tokyo, something that's modern that's, you know, Las Vegas even. You know, I don't really know if Tokyo is a really sinful place. I've never been there. But, you know, all these cities around the world that kind of harbor evil and sin, you know, political uh, havens for, you know, a country's politicians, you know, much like Washington, D.C. is here in the United States, you know, those could be places like that. 
I don't necessarily see this as pointing us to a modern style of city, but I think it's kind of the age-old city of sorts that um, has harbored sin. So it would be like a Las Vegas. It would be a Rome. It would be a Sodom and Gomorrah type place where sin runs rampant and those who worship the world um, meet and and uh, drink the wine of the passion of, of sexual immorality. I mean, it's just a place where the, the, the darkness just brews. And so um, I don't think the text really points us to any particular, you know, single city. I think, again, as we've kind of unpacked a lot of Revelation so far, this can be a city that shows, you know, the time frames of, you know, being all throughout uh, time. And so we get into, again, the um, third angel here with the uh, mark. This kind of goes back to addressing what the second angel was saying that Babylon the Great has fallen. Um, and then the third angel gives this warning if anyone worships the beast in his image and has received another uh, his or her forehead, they will drink the wrath uh, drink the wine of God's wrath. And so we talked about the mark last week um, and as this particular event unfolds, the actual fate of those worshiping the beast will be revealed and is sealed for them. Their fate is done. There is no hope coming back. You know, I tell people a lot of times who message me on Instagram or you know, relatives or friends, things like that, that they have a particular family member or they have a particular friend that is an unbeliever it could be their spouse their parents their kids and they are just so distraught over it they go off and do the things of the world and they don't give any attention to the christian life and i think that's tragic and i always try to give a little bit of hope you know yes you know were they baptized were they raised in the church you know maybe they're just you know kind of pulling all those prodigal son moments where they go off into the world and you know, but they come back to you. And I always usually kind of conclude it with this factor that as long as there's breath in their lungs, there's still hope for them. And and I would even venture to say more so that I think God is much more merciful than what we give him credit for. And that those that we did instill the gospel into, even if they may try to suppress it, I think there is still some level of belief there. But Again, that's a, a decision I am not, you know, capable of making. That is God's own uh, decision. But here, in chapter fourteen, there is no more hope for these individuals. The cup of His anger is poured out upon them. He, I mean, we'll get to the judgment here later. But I mean, this is sealing their fate. Um, and this is underscoring the final judgment that will be public for all to see. And just as God provides eternal joy and security for his saints, he also uh, has eternal shame and torment awaiting those who reject him. This is what Luther writes here. Smoke went up, that is their anger and disdain with which they fight and speak even against God. And the wrathful pride of those who hate Christ will always go up and increase more and more. That was Luther's notes on Matthew twenty five forty one, which uh, that verse reads, 
Uh, then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So again, we have connections between this particular event and the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, 25, Mark 13, Luke 21. We cannot negl neglect seeing these bridges connecting. We cannot neglect reading Revelation in that fashion. It would be a crime to just take Revelation and read it in a chronological um, manner at a, at a ultra hyper you know literal translation we would be doing such an injustice to this and so we move on to verse 13 here um and it says and i heard a loud voice saying write this blessed are the dead who die in the lord from now on so the second of the seven beatitudes blessed are the dead the blessing comes at a decisive moment as the final judgment is about to be revealed. Uh, as we go on, St. Bernard writes this, not those alone who die for the Lord like the martyrs, but without doubt those who also will die in the Lord as confessors are blessed. The, there are two things, it seems to me, which makes uh, death precious life, which precedes it, and the cause for which it endured. By the mercy of God, you are beginning to live again, not to sin, but to righteousness, not to the world, but to Christ, knowing that to live to the world is death, and even to die in Christ is life. And this is what Luther writes, Christ is nothing other than sheer life, as his saints are likewise. The more profoundly you impress that image upon your heart and gaze upon it, the more the image of death will pale and vanish of itself without struggle or battle. Thus, your heart will be at peace and you will be able to die calmly in Christ and with Christ. And as we read Revelation, blessed are those who die in the Lord. Deeds follow them because their deeds give evidence of faith in Jesus, those who persevere in serving Jesus, even in the midst of intense persecution, receive eternal rest, the ultimate blessing from God. So John relates a vision of these three angels warning the world against this disaster that will come upon those worshiping the beast. Despite the multitude of such uh, admissions, people, including those who know better, still chase after false gods. Those who remain faithful to God and to his word will be blessed forever, entering into eternal rest when they pass out of this world. And so I think that is a wonderful promise given. And I think, again, we've talked heavy on the mark last week, and we've talked about, uh, you know, these beasts and things like that. So we won't get too deep into it, but I really wanted to highlight these passages for you as we go through this text. You know, the, the framework of 14 can seem intimidating, but I think when we apply a right manner of thinking to it, it helps us to finally understand what is truly going on here uh, so let's finish up this chapter and we'll move on with our days verse 14 and then i looked behold a white cloud and seated on the cloud one like the son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand and another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the on the cloud 
put up your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. And so he sat on the cloud and swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a large sickle. And another angel came out of the altar, and the angel who has authority over fire. And when he called a loud voice to the one with the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters of from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. And then the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and the blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 uh, stata. We'll get into that, I guess. All right. So we have this harvest. Now, let's unpack some of this because there is some metaphors here heavily used. Obviously, we probably won't see angels with sickles, um, you know, reaping down and gathering that. But we don't know. It would be interesting, but I don't foresee that being a literal interpretation. So as we dig into this, the one who, uh, like the Son of Man, is another depiction of the glorified Jesus. This time, however, the Lord is describing as holding a sharp sickle. Now, we don't get this image in Matthew, but we do have this same um, painting of, essentially, of who he is. You know, the Son of Man sitting on the cloud, um, and he's crowned here, uh, but now they give him a sharp sickle. So, when we read Matthew, it is in, it is extremely important for us to have revelation in the back of our minds. When we read, you know, Matthew twenty four and twenty five, or Mark thirteen, Luke twenty one, whatever you want to read, when you have those verses in your in front of you, it pays us extreme importance to get the full picture by reading all of the context to, you know, that particular passage. And I think we get a better view of what Jesus is doing here. So now, um, verses 14, or I'm sorry, verses 15 here and 16, we have this other angel coming out of the temple, calling out with this loud voice, put up, put in your sickle and reap. And then we have uh, verse 16, who, uh, so he who sat on the cloud, Jesus, swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Um, so this imagery here is depicting the final judgment, obviously used by the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah 27, 12. I want to read that. In that day, from the river Euphrates to the book to the brook of Egypt, the Lord will thrash out the grain, and he will be gleaned one by one, O people of Israel. Significantly, Jesus himself speaks similarly in Matthew 13. This is what Jesus says, Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, and then bind them into bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. This quote-unquote grim reaper figure has its origins in this imagery. And so we see the connection again uh, to what Matthew writes earlier in Jesus' ministry. And even the prophet Isaiah, going back to Isaiah 27. And so this isn't new imagery for those who have read the Bible. This is nothing new for us to see. 
Now in verses 17 and 18, we have this continual reaping metaphor being uh, displayed. Um, that starts back in verse 15. One sense is a mixed metaphor. However, some sickles are not typically used to harvest grapes. Now on to the wine press here. Harvested grapes are put into vats and crushed in order to make uh, the juice. That's how they extract it. And in the ancient world and in many places even to this day, this extraction is a accomplished by trampling on the fruit underfoot. Thus, as John gives us a vivid illustration of how God's wrath will come down upon the wicked on Judgment Day. And then we have this um, in verse 20, and the wine press will trodden outside the city. That city is Jerusalem, the symbol for God's people. Uh, the juice flows out of the wine press is identified uh, with the blood of those undergoing the judgment. And again, this 1600 uh, stadia is another symbol, a multitude of four, which typically represents the earth. John forcefully underlines the overwhelming nature of God's judgment here. And so quickly we can see John describing the final judgment in the terms of a harvest and treading of a winepress. Those in Christ need not to worry about God's wrath. For instead of your blood flowing out from God's wine press, Jesus' blood was poured out on the cross for you. His sacrifice for your sin removes the penalty of eternal death from you. That, mm, that is such a beautiful, beautiful promise. And, you know, look at that. I, we made it through all of the text in 40 minutes or so. I think that's a record for this episode, for this series. We'll probably wrap her up at about 50 minutes, but I think that's a, you know, for as much complexity as in here, I think we handled chapter 14 well. I think we, you know, we we looked at some of these complexities and just, you know, based upon how we applied hermeneutics thus far, we did not have to go into in-depth explanations because we applied the same style of hermeneutics uh, as we did earlier in the book to what we did today. So if this is the first time you're listening to an Undying Light episode, I would urge you to go back and listen to um, the first few shows in the book of Revelation because it helps to understand how we will be applying our hermeneutics. Um, some of the text we take literal, some of the text we take is symbolic, and we see, can't you know, and then we try to apply prior um, passages from the book of Revelation to these, and then we also look to see how can we look at other scripture, which obviously we did plenty of that tonight by looking at other passages. And so I hope that this particular episode was edifying. I hope to my patron you got your question answered. And um, I do want to make one other statement to, you know, to really clarify that 144,000. That is a complete wholeness that number is complete of all the people whether they are virgins or not virgins whether they are you know martyred or not martyred that number is the complete picture of the church and we've seen that twice now in revelation this number being displayed for us so i pray that this show was edifying for you and i would urge you to go back and re-listen to it and re-listen to other episodes because there's a lot of content that we work through and we do it at a relatively quick pace we do about an hour per show and so some of them a little bit longer some a little bit shorter but i would strongly urge 
to take the opportunity to go through it. Now, uh, I also have mentioned numerous times that this is not, you know, a one and done deal that you will have all of your nuggets for the book of revelation in this particular series. You know, I'm using a few different resources myself to try and compile my thoughts and utilizing notes and things like that. And I would urge you to pick up commentaries, to pick up study Bibles, to pick up, you know, um, books on eschatology and read through it. And you'll probably find yourself wherever your hermeneutics lead you. So uh, I hope and pray that this series has been edifying to you so far. Uh, We still have a little bit left to go. We've got um, chapters 17 through 22 to finish, and we will continue plowing these week by week. So guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have a wonderful week. We have a special episode dropping on Tuesday with a special guest, which I think was already leaked in last Tuesday's episode. But I pray that you guys will just um, dig in to it and listen to it and pull a lot of great content out of there. It was a wonderful episode. Both of those guys who joined me were wonderful and I'm so blessed to have them on my show. And so thank you to each of them for joining us. And I hope the content that they provided is edifying and enlightening and helps you truly see what is going on in the Lutheran doctrines. So guys, with that, I'm going to bounce out of here. I'm going to get some work done and head to bed. So uh, until then, I will see you next week. God bless. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.